Welcome to episode 5 of the Zero Analytics Podcast with Jamie Lewis. Today's guest is Wesley LeBlanc of Kernersville, North Carolina. Wesley is the brainchild behind Kinetic Racing Chassis and Moonshine Tire Prep. Wesley started his racing career in Louisiana and made the move up to North Carolina to chase his dreams. Throughout the conversation, we discuss his racing journey and get some behind-the-scenes look into one of the country's brightest karting minds. He shares the thoughts on chassis design and how to approach your tire program and a whole hell of a lot more. While we have mutual friends in the karting world, this was the first time we had a chance to sit down and chat. It was a pleasure talking with him and it's easy to see why so many people I've talked to and respect have a positive perception of Wesley. Exploring his thought process and seeing how he approaches different aspects of racing and life will uncover little nuggets of valuable information for people at all levels of karting. This episode is a little shorter than our usual two and a half hour marathon that I put out so far. It was also the first podcast I recorded over Skype, and I was pretty pleased with the sound quality and really opens up who I can talk to moving forward. I really appreciate Wesley making the time for the podcast and all the listeners out there. We chatted for a few minutes and then went right into recording, and I think everyone will really enjoy this. We could have talked for hours, and I'm sure at one point we'll get together again. If you see Wesley around, be sure to thank him and check out the show notes or visit the Zero Analytics Facebook page for all of Wesley's social media info and links. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, my friend, Mr. Wesley LeBlanc. I, like I said, I think the podcast is a great idea. I, I thought about doing it myself and just with other, these other things that have come up, it's uh, it's been put on the back burner for me, so I'm glad that you could uh, have the time to set aside and do it, and that's why I want to be a part of it. And I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think a lot of people don't understand uh, in, in the top level of, of kart racing, how much um, how much is involved and how much everybody really has to play a role to, to make it all work at the end of the day, not only with, with my guys and what we do, but really any of your top level uh, teams. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and like you said, I think a lot of times people that maybe don't get the opportunity to travel and stuff like that, they think it's some big secret. But you know, the more people you talk to, I mean, you know yourself, uh, you know, dealing with the top guys and stuff, it's it's really just about, you know, each little aspect of your, you know, the puzzle to, you know, all the pieces to your puzzle, just everyone really doing their diligence and whether it's the driver working out, the chassis guy developing, you know, that chassis, you know, anymore, it's like someone wants to be able to buy the chassis, trust what you're going to tell them and know that they spent the money. They just want to eliminate that worry, you know? And, um, from my understanding, it seems like you do a really good job, you know, communicating and stuff like that. Um, you know, so, and even, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I said, that's, that's absolutely what it is. I mean, whenever I did this whole thing, that's what I set out to do was just eliminate a variable. You know, I helped folks with, with tires and I helped them with driving. I helped them with all aspects of their program, really. And the one thing that was always just kind of a hurdle was they were all in different go-karts. So um, it, it was just gave us a way to be able to kind of consolidate that that variable and, and turn it into something now where we can service folks beyond, you know, beyond what they expect, really. Yeah. And could you just give me a little bit of background? Because like I said, I, I, you know, first time we've ever talked, I don't know you other than, you know, a couple of Facebook yeah. videos and stuff. Just give me a, maybe a little background on um, like, you know, you're from Louisiana. Just tell me how you got started in your first couple of years and, and take me through that a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fun story to tell. I like telling the story and, uh, and most of the times people get, 
get a, a good glimpse of, of how it uh, how it all started and where it came from. Grew up in a somewhat of a racing family. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, he's the one that kind of pioneered racing in our blood. Um, he grew up around drag racing, just you know, in, in the era when he grew up in the '30s and the '40s and the '50s, even into the '60s, it was all just you know, kind of that, that that new era of racing. Every form of racing was taken off, and he was involved with drag racing. Um, kind of at a small level, but at the end of the day, just a pure motorsports, you know, guy. And uh, that's really where it came from. My dad continued that on. My dad never really raced, but he's a machinist by trade, and all of his buddies raced. So he was always making the parts for them. I grew up at the boat races, uh, drag boat racing, and that's that's really where all my dad's friends and my dad really, you know, kind of found their niche. Um, being from Louisiana, it was really big down there, just the boating community in general with all the water we have. So, and my dad today, he even, uh, he has a machine shop and that's what he does. He bores and, and decks motors and works on heads, uh, in, in the boating industry more than any, but, um, you know, that's, that's where it all started. Like I said, I grew up at the, at the racetrack. It just wasn't a dirt oval. And then, uh, when it came time for me to get into racing, I, uh, my dad said, well, we could do junior dragsters, we could do go-karts. And I'm like, well, I really don't know. I said, can we go, can we go watch, can we check it out, whatever it may be? He said, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was actually riding, uh, riding foils with one of my neighbors and, um, he about killed me that day, but it was the first day that, uh, we happened to be riding by another, uh, mutual friend of ours houses. And he was actually a really good friend of my grandfather before my grandfather passed away. And um, they've grown up racing go-karts forever. He was in, you know, he built engines for a living for drag cars and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of where it all kind of came together that day. I, I stopped, we looked at the car. I'm like, when are y'all racing? Where do y'all race? You know, we, me and my dad's been talking about it. He's like, we're racing tonight and we're racing right down the road, you know, race right down the road here. So it, it really, for me, go-kart racing started really because it was convenient. Um, I was like, dad, can we go? He's like, well, I'm working today. It was a Saturday. They were working late. He's like, if we get off in time, we'll go. And it just so happened to be, got off in time. And then, uh, we also went, it was uh, the first time that I had met and my brother had met the, the woman he was dating at the time, which is now our, our stepmother. So it was like our first little outing. And at the same time, it kind of started this whole racing slash my dad's uh, current marriage. So it was, it was really cool. Uh, first time the kids met each other and all that stuff. And from the day that I went, I was hooked. I mean, I, I saw it the first time. I was like, I don't even want to go check out Junior Tracks. You're like, this is what I want to do. And um, so just from there, just started the, the research on, you know, how do I get started? What do I do? Luckily, we met some folks there that my dad knew. He went to high school with. Their kids were racing. They lived three miles down the road. So it, it was all super convenient back then. We had a local track. They, we would get 90 to 110 go-karts every other Saturday night, and it was 15 minutes from my house. So um, just super easy to get into. My whole first year, got you know, got some used equipment, ran one set of tires all year, and really just tried to learn you know, what it was all about. And then um, uh, actually the, the very first time that we didn't race there, uh, we went to a new track they opened about an hour away, and that was the first time I'd ever, I got my first win over there. So um it, it was it was funny because the home track was always the place that i could never win at and then uh and then i move up here now liberty is my home track and it's still the place i can never win at. So. <laughs> you know, it, it's just to go back for a second um how how old were you when you first got started so i was a late i was a late starter um i didn't start racing until i was 12 i did um 
I did the baseball deal, the football deal, mm-hmm. um, through, you know, growing up. And then I was really into remote controlled sports. You know, I had the cars, the boats, the planes, the everything under the sun. Um, it, I always just had an interest in anything that moved, anything that was, you know, especially things that didn't almost didn't make sense. I mean, a remote control car or boat, like they're so fast compared to their scale, it, it almost don't even make sense. So it, it always intrigued me. Model rockets were real big. I was real big into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, tried to burn my hand off one day. It didn't work. But, uh, and um, that just really intrigued me. But I got in it late. You know, I had a yard cart. I would run around the yard. Never knew anything about, you know, that's actually how I bought my first go-kart was I sold my yard cart and I sold every remote control thing I had. I got about $1,500 out of all of that and bought a used chassis, used engine, uh, used tires. I mean, I remember it all like it was yesterday. And, and what, it was, what, cha- what was your first chassis out of curiosity? 99 Twister. 99 so, Twi- Twister used the, uh, yeah. the ticket back on the dirt circuit there for a few years, especially with the champ buggies and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, that flat part I had was really good for, for them, for me to get going and what we did. I mean, it was great. You know, that was kind of the, the Banshee AV2 slash, uh, might have been even before the AV2, but it, it was kind of in the day. I know, fam, the Banshee stuff was really just getting out. And then, uh, Shadow Taz and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, the Shadow stuff was real big. Actually, Shadow was, they actually had. The guy down there that won a lot, he was on Shadow, and then they had some Phantom guys that were pretty big down there in Louisiana. And then um, I kept that car for about a year, and then um, I went through, man. That's one thing I, I'll say. I've done. I've just about rode them all and, and had them all over the years. Uh, I was never keen on a brand. I just used the uh, car as a tool to, to learn tires and, and, and hold my hold my butt off the ground so uh, that was kind of always my theory on it put it together set some numbers in it and make it work between driving and tires and, um so i've had a variety of good cars i counted it one day i think uh you know before kinetic i want to say I, I was up to 22 different carts i had through my career um some of them the same brand but right, you know, then right. just, just at the end of the day stuff that i've i've went through and um, it's been great with that though, honestly, that all of that taught me so much and, and working with all the different folks in the industry, whether they could still build carts now or they did back then, uh, really just gave me a, a broad view on, on different you know, approaches, not from customer service, from chassis design, um, feel, just a ton of things that at the end of the day, I think it, I, I was able to use it all and bring it into what we do now and, and make a good product for the, for the community. Good deal. Yeah, I mean, just sitting here, as you said, the 22 chassis, I'm kind of running through my head and years and stuff like that. I mean, that that is quite a few. You know I mean? That's, uh, yeah. A lot of people, I, I, you know. I've never kept I never kept one really longer than a year. I think the first one I had was the one I had the longest. And I had it right at a year um, before we started moving about. And then uh, that was when the Nemesis, you know, it was a 99, but I started in, in 2000 or 2001. I forget now. And then uh, I got my second one was a 01 Nemesis. Uh, I kept it, you know, or a little while. I probably kept that one about a year as well. Then after that, I really started mowing through pretty good. And a lot of it was just different opportunities. It wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily because I wasn't happy with what I had or anything like that. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I got off the Nemesis because I, I met a guy from Georgia uh, named Sean Silverman, and he had a, a trick for sale, and, and nobody had trick around here. So I, I got one of those and had success on it. And I was so, you know, we had so much success on it in a short period of time. 
that's when Prowler was really starting to get big. And one of my buddies from Mobile, Timbo Clifton, he, he became a Prowler dealer. And, and I got a Prowler from him because I never had a brand new go-kart. And I was able to get a new go-kart. And, he, you know, he helped me out with it. And, I you know, I kind of pioneered the Prowler deal for Louisiana. And then, you know, I, I worked with Bradley Gerald whenever the Falcon came out. I kind of pioneered that. Did the Ultramax thing for a little while when they were trying to bring it, you know, to Louisiana. Um, I mean, like I said, pretty much everybody at some point in time I've, I've worked with um, and either been a dealer for or, or you know, kind of just represented it from afar, you know. So um, our world over there, which is like tech, you know, East Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and I, uh, some parts of Alabama, that our little Gulf Coast area was, was a, a good, good car community for a long time. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of uh, withered away. Gotcha. Yeah, I used to actually um, there for a little bit back in I don't know, maybe the mid two thousands. Like I was a dealer for Prowler and um, Jason Kimball mm-hmm. and those guys. I mean, they're really good to deal with and stuff too. So, um, but um, as far as so, when did you actually? You know, something I did want to talk about is uh, your your dad. So he was in the doing motor or not doing motors, but a machinist doing motors for both. Machine, like, yeah, machining. Did he have any? Yeah. Did, did he ever build your motors or anything like that? For, no, for he your, didn't. Like so. Even now, like he's he does no assembly. You know, everything he does is machine related. Okay. So he he he's just he's basically the machinist for all the motor builders around where he's at. Now, um, Mr. Al, who was the the guy that I, I rode by his house and I saw his son Joey's cart. Um, and and like I said, Mr. Al and my grandfather were like best friends. Mr. Al built engines, and they they built a lot of open engines for go karts because when they were growing up, you know, Joey's probably. Uh, I don't know, uh, 40 or I know he's at least seven or eight years older than me. So he's probably 40, 42. Um, him growing up as a kid, they ran like junior limited and junior modified stuff like that at the WK level and, uh, a lot more, you know, bigger motors back then. So Mr. I always liked to build the open stuff and they built some stockers and stuff too like that. But my, my engine, uh, history has always been through a, a national builder until I started building them myself. Um, with the exception of my, my buddy, Brian Wells and his dad, Dennis Wells in Gulfport, Mississippi. And they were just a really good local builder down in Mississippi. And, um, I rode for Brian some at at points in times in my life when I couldn't afford it myself. Um, me and Brian still work together now. Like, you know, he, they've kind of really, um, cut back on their racing, but, you know, he rides our carts when he does race. And then like even the motors he builds and stuff now, He'll, you know, I'll help him out. I'll do carburetors and, and head work and stuff like that for him. So it's cool how it kind of all come full circle. But um, I never do and, and did anything with engines until we started doing them in house here a year and a half, almost two years ago now. Is that was the question I was actually going to ask? Is is that a cell? Is that what that is? Um, yes and no. It really just goes back to the reason why I started doing go karts. It's just a variable. Like I've worked with a lot of the top motor builders. Um, very good guys, very good, um, you know, nothing really bad to say, just at the end of the day, it was the same thing. Like if we've got, if we control every piece of the puzzle, but the engine, why are we not just controlling that too? That way, when we make a mistake, we know what it is. You know, if, if it's an engine problem, I can diagnose it as soon as I get to the shop or at the racetrack, because I have some knowledge of it now, you know, if, if it's a, and, and then, cause the engine at the end of the day, folks just want, they want the engine to run correctly. And, and be competitive. So if, if it's not that, then we need to quickly diagnose it so we can change it or, or fix whatever's wrong with it. 
And that, it, it just, it all, all of it comes from just trying to be better in every category. That's really where the Indian thing came from. And, um, so the name, the name of that is Excel or Excel? Excel, yeah, Excel Performance. Okay. Um, and, and I, what I'd like to see with that, um, you know, it's, it's very limited right now because I am doing it all. I started it with another guy, didn't really work out as the, the partnership was supposed to. So I just kind of kept everything going and, and continued to just learn it myself. And that's where I kind of am at with it. But with that, it, it takes a lot of time to, to do it the way that I feel like it should be done. Um, and I'm looking to grow that, you know, with the right people. And what I would really like to do is, is be more, you know, I, I like to focus everything on a production standpoint. Um, so I would like to be more of a, a, that division to do more machine work and go towards like selling heads to motor builders, selling cams to motor builders, selling carburetors to motor builders. That's a huge market right now. Mm-hmm. You got a lot of smaller motor builders that, that will buy parts from somebody else. And, you know, it, it's a win-win because I like doing the research and development and, and building the parts because to me it's like building a car. Like it's a start and a finish and I can sit there and I can knock out 10 or whatever. They're all the same. And then, um, you know, the, the engine builder likes it because they don't have the – a lot of times they're smaller. They don't have the time to do all the R&D and really study what it takes to get it to the next level. They just want to be able to plug and play and, and get the, the motor in and out and get it back to the customers. Mm-hmm. Good deal. So so you do have a lot. I didn't really know about the motor deal. I do um, – when I was looking at the pictures and stuff like that with Jock Newsom, and um, I saw Excel on there, and I, I didn't know who that was. But um, so that – my next question is on um, – so this is what you do full-time. So you're full-time – carding guy what is like what is your typical day or your typical week look like um around the shop with all the things you have going on yeah so um i've done this full time since i started the chassis business in uh in 2013 um i kind of in the first five months i want to say before we actually came out with a cart um I just, uh, I would do odd and end jobs because we were just testing and, and developing and, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't have nothing to build. So <laughs> I did some odd and end jobs and I, I fixed a lot of tires for folks to be able to try to, make, you know, pay the bills until we actually had the product ready. But for the last six years, this is all I've done. Um, and then about six weeks ago, me and, and Mickey, who's my better half, we, um, we had an opportunity to take over a magazine here in town and we're doing it together. Um, so it's, that's occupying, you know, a good bit of my time right now until it really gets going good, but it's just going to be another avenue. It's going to give her more of a full-time, um, project and kind of a career path there because both the boys are in school now and she's been kind of looking for that. And then, um, you know, it's going to give me a way to just continue to do more. And and I'm always, if I don't work like 12 or 14 hours a day, I feel like I haven't done nothing. So, um, I'm always looking for more and different opportunities. Now, uh, um, so as far as a typical day, I mean, it was, you know, when I was really trying to grow the, the engine stuff, I was just working. I mean, I spent a full year nonstop, pretty much 10, you know, eight to 10 hours a day on the engine side. So a typical day was just me doing either building motors, R and D and motors, um, working on, you know, uh, jigs for, to check stuff or just, you know, then a lot of just thinking research, what to do, how to do it. You know, I didn't go out and just buy everybody's stuff. I just sat down and, and dissected it and worked on what we had and how do we make it better. 
Um, and, and that, that really took up a lot of my time for the last year, um, until about, you know, about two, three months ago when I decided that, you know, I, I wasn't going to pursue building engines full time. I'm going to do it part time and take care of a, a limited, uh, limited fleet of, uh, of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, you know, we, it, every year it's different. So I guess to answer your question, it goes through stages. Um, you know, 2017, that was 2018 in a nutshell. 2017 um, was all development. You know, we were developing the new chassis, so we went from our first model to our second model and just started scratch, really. Uh, I wanted to develop a go-kart just all the way over. Take everything I've learned, but just start over. Don't tweak it. Don't try to make it better. Like, we did that for, th- for four years with the Genesis. Every year we would work on it. We'd make it better. We'd make it better. We'd make it better. Um, but just wanted to start completely over with a new, you know, a new a new platform altogether. And I wanted to build a platform that we could make uh, multiple carts with. So one of my goals from the beginning was to make multiple carts um, the way that the sprint industry does. But for our industry, um, I kind of got beat to it with the other manufacturers. Um, and the, the biggest reason, you know, I, I didn't, the Genesis really wasn't a platform I could easily go softer uh, or stiffer with. So that was really my goal with Exodus was to build something that, that made sure we had plenty of potential speed in, but then we could also, from a manufacturing standpoint, we could produce it in a couple of different platforms. And now, you know, so we spent 17 refining that. Uh, the 18 Exodus was a really good go-kart. Um, we tweaked a little bit more on the basic platform for 19, and then now that, that we really have everything where we want, um, we are, we're on the stiffer spectrum than most people cart-wise. So um, for the future, we'll probably look to do something in the middle there and possibly even do to you know something on the on the inch and an eighth line and then maybe even something just in the middle between what an inch and an eighth is and what our car, current cart is um but right now uh, immediately a day in my life is is a lot of uh, a lot of sales calls and then you know in the middle of those sales calls uh, taking care of customers getting orders in and then i've got uh, two guys at the shop full time right now um and then two more well, actually, three more part time that um, together we just all work together to make sure that the carts are getting built, the stuff's getting shipped out, and and things are getting ordered. Um, it, you know, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty well old machine right now from the cart standpoint. Some of some of the other things that we do aren't quite as refined, but I set out in the beginning to make a very consistent, a very checkable process with our cart building and um and so it it, it runs pretty well on the cart building side is that on the, then, i'm sorry just to touch base on the chassis is that something do you guys is that something that's built in-house or is that something that you sub out um, so we started we started subbing it out originally i subbed everything out and i was just basically um working with uh i worked with david lee in the beginning he was the one who actually agreed to kind of help me get my my thoughts on into a, a frame um so we worked with him and he was really good about that and, and the project side of it when it comes to production he wasn't as excited so um work with him in the beginning and then once we really got it established on what we wanted um i went to harold because obviously harold's got the production side hammered hammered down so um, I went to Harold and he was, he was definitely, um, nice enough to, to bring us in and he produced our carts for us in 2015. Um, and that worked really good. That, that let us kind of give us a little bit of scale, a little bit of volume and, and kind of just get another piece of the puzzle involved. Um, 
they he wanted to kind of change the direction he was going and um and building our our carts just really wouldn't um it wasn't gonna be from a time standpoint it wasn't gonna be possible is what it boiled down to so and obviously i respect that and uh i respected the way that that we went about it so that was when i moved up here you know late 15 right at the beginning of 16 i was back and forth up here for a week on and off and um getting everything set up so since 16 um, we, we do everything in house now. So we don't, one thing we don't do in house, which we, we never have, uh, we don't do the production runs on bending or notching in house. That's all done via CNC benders and, and tube lasers, um, outsourced through a company that can do it way better than we can. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not too proud to like be like, I got to do it all in house and that's the way it's going to be the best. I, I know that a multi-million million dollar machine and people that do that same deal every day can do it better than I can for our go-kart. So I, um, I hand bend and hand notch and, and we basically hand build every test go-kart. And then once we get it where we want it, um, we get it digitized for a lack of a better word and, uh, and re, you know, reverse engineer it in the CAD and then it's all done via machine. So the whole process is automated except the welding. Um, where you have somebody like Harold and um, a lot of these um, sprint manufacturers in Europe, you know, they, they automate the welding with the robots, but we have everything automated except the welding. And I feel like that gives us the best of both worlds. We have the consistency of automation, but we still have the ability to adjust the human element. So we have very little throwaway because uh, that's one thing when you get into automation, you're going to have more mistakes. Things are going to mess up and, um, we try to, like I said, we try to find that line. Uh, we have a fine balance between building um, the quality and still maintaining the volume to keep everybody happy. And it just, I, I want to kind of go back just uh, real quick, and I'm going to jump all over the place here. So, huh? No, you're to, fine. You're you fine. I, I, I'm good about just taking the ball and running with it for a while. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes good. you got to reel me back in. Yeah, hey, no problem, man. And uh, well, something I was kind of you alluded to is is kind of getting um, I don't know your exact words, but you're kind of like basically like you get your base design, and then from that you'll be able to actually kind of uh, to tweak it on as far as different railings, different sizes, different thicknesses, and things like that. Is that something that um, is that where you see like the future of go karting going? Where do you think multiple teams will have? I mean, a, a team will have multiple carts. Or do you think the different designs are really based on your individual needs and maybe the size of the driver and the different classes and stuff like that? Like, what are your thoughts as far as like kind of moving forward on the chassis business? Yeah. So, like I said, I like I said earlier, I through my racing career, I've, I've been able to do a little bit of the road racing and see some of the sprint side as well, and that. You know they don't have they don't have the ability. The one the one thing that's unique to oval always will be is our ability to balance a cart with left side and cross. You know they can't use left and they can't really use cross. I mean if they've got eight left hand turns to one right hand turn, then yes they're gonna they can run fifty two cross instead of fifty and and obviously benefit in eight corners and give up in one. So um, but as a general rule of thumb, they can't. So they use tubing and they use design um, to be able. to to go from you know uh, a five-year-old kid up until uh, you know a super heavy-sized adult, um, they have to actually change the the chassis itself um, from a lot of uh, standpoints. But materials being the biggest one, mm -hmm. and um, I, I've always had the idea to do that from the beginning because I've seen it in in that, and I, I'm like, if it works there, it has to work on dirt too. 
um, because it's just physics. At the end of the day, if you've got 50 pounds worth of input or if you've got 250 pounds worth of input, um, the, the, the same tube is going to react differently. And you could also match to get the same input with different tubes. So I think that's why you see manufacturers uh, making multiple carts now. And I think the future is is definitely going to hold that for us. Um, some of it's it's driver size. Some of it is just sheer grip in the racetrack. You know, input is a combination of force with weight, um, speed, and um, and grip at the end of the day. So. The faster or the heavier or the more grip, the more input you're going to have. And that's that's really where I think you see the, the categories of chassis falling and that are, are falling. And that's where you see, um, you know, through, through the winter, you typically see the soft carts run better because the tracks don't have as much grip. They don't carry as much speed. Um, and then as a you know rule of thumb, you've seen the trend in the junior classes to go with the smaller the kid to go to the smaller tubing cart because of the same thing. You just have less input via their weight and their speed um, and their grip, really, if you think about it. So it just makes it makes sense to do that. But the one the beauty of it with oval racing is is you can use cross and left to balance that. So we've arguably won just as many or more races in the junior division than any go kart in the last four years. And um, and, and we you know whether that was on the Genesis with a combination of tubes or whether that was on the current exodus with all inch and a quarter tubes. But um, I, I'm, my, my philosophy is if, if it, the customers tell me they want an inch and an eighth go-kart, I can build a better one than what's out there. So that's uh, that's my new challenge. <laughs> gotcha. That sounds like a small feat. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you – you know, and I don't know how you know I don't know how many chassis that you sell a year or anything like that. But I'm I'm making a general assumption that, you know, that you're you're I mean you picked a chassis business and you're going after not really going after the giants, but your competition and you know your biggest competition are a lot of the bigger brands and things like that. Um, is that a daunting task? Are you looking forward to it? Do you think that uh, you maybe have something to offer as a smaller company, maybe um, as far as support, like how? How do you kind of like mold your little, uh, I guess, your marketing to kind of to convince someone that, you know, maybe you should come with us as opposed to maybe a, a longstanding, uh, bigger chassis company? Um, and just yeah. a, a caveat on that is, and one thing that I've come across, even like I said, I'm up in Delaware. So up here in Delaware, we dealt Prowler chassis. Um, one of the complaints that I got sometimes were, you know, like with Phantom, you know, for just about every every cart shop or just about everyone around, they're going to have parts and stuff for that. How, do, when someone asks you, you know, like what's, are, are there any, I guess, um, retractions from getting your go kart without the parts being there? I mean, is that something you got you guys can ship pretty quick? I know it's got to be like kind of a concern for people that don't live in like the the kinetic region, so to speak. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. Um... To start off with the original question of going against, you know, kind of the industry um, uh, standards, I guess I'll call it, because they have been around here a long time and stuff. Um, for me, I always liked it. I mean, I thought it was a challenge. I honestly thought it was a challenge, but I'm the type of person that likes to do the things that people say can't be done or or not frequently done. So, you know, obviously other people have built go-karts and they've built, you know, great businesses with it. Um so it's not that it can't be done, it's just not commonly done. Same thing, you know, with really anything I've done, uh, go-karts, motors, tires, um, the magazine now. I mean, it, it's all stuff, it's been done before. So I, I like, 
I like taking what's what the kind of the norm is and, and kind of just disrupting it, like disrupting the industry. And that's really, I guess, the best way to explain how how we're able to do it and how we continue to do it um, in, in a way that is productive for the industry as well and beneficial. Because, you know, some industries get disrupted and, and it's a bad thing, but um, we try to do it in a, in a positive way. Um, the number one thing and what you typically – when, when you're a smaller chassis builder, people typically associate you with you can't, um, you can't be as good a quality. Well, so I really worked hard in the beginning to establish that and not just put out anything. We've never sold a Tesco cart. We don't sell Tesco carts. We cut them up and throw them away. Um, and we don't build, we don't change a production cart in the middle of a year. So the, the, the recipe for that is being consistent and offering a consistent product and, and also not releasing it too early. You know, I, I tested for a long time with carts that were very good and still made changes before we come out with something, whether it be the new year model or it be a new go-kart. So from the beginning, just instilling in people that we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to start as a small company because everyone does, but we're going to have the consistency. We're going to have the quality of products. And then the service model is going to be different. So, you know, it's I, I use... I use technology, I use communication, and at the end of the day, I use my, my 20 plus years of, of resources being in the industry to, um, to benefit everybody involved. We've got guys pretty much in every part of the country. Most of them are the better guys in those parts of the country, and, and they're, they're good people that understand that by helping others, you know, we'll all grow together. And that's really like we're, we're at a we're kind of at a tipping point right now where I really think we're about to expand and, and really grow. I feel like we could double any overnight almost just based on kind of the, the things I've been working on the last couple of years and getting some strategic people on board and, and having the, the right people in the right places. And now obviously having the, the product where it's just fine tuned um, and, and everything's pretty much like a well machine. Um, so I think at the end of the day, we don't do as many as some of those guys in volume, but our, a lot of that's just based on our business model. Um, you know, we, we don't do a lot of deals. We don't do uh, many consignment go-karts. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to just put out as many. I'm not going to try to build as many as I can and put them out there in any way possible just to beat my chest and say that I got the most. Um, I'd rather be the guy at the racetrack with, you know, one or two go-karts and at the end of the day we bring home three or four wins with those one or two um which is what we've done in a lot of cases you know we go to a tri-state race it's one trailer it's just the folks that i take and go help and you know if we can come out at the end of the day with some wins and some really good runs that that's a successful day and and that's created a a, a culture in the rest of the country to give people hope you know a lot of people want to go with the normal chassis brands because they feel like it's a comfort thing like well if i'm on a fan everybody else is on a fan then at least i know i'm on you know i'm on a good go-kart and, and i'm with everybody else but um culture and society is shifting i mean now the mentality I have is I don't want to be what everybody else is on. I want to be on something different and something better. That way I can gain that strategic advantage. And I mean, whether it's business, life, baseball, like, that's the way the world works now. Um, you know, familiarity is is not very uh, is not very good as far as getting ahead of the competition. So um, I think I think there's a lot of it's a lot of things, and it's a lot of at the end of the day, it's just a lot of hard work. 
Um, I try to make sure I go out the way to help people get them information, communicate with them, you know, understand what they're doing. And I've raced in a lot of areas. I've raced on a lot of different tracks. I've raced on a lot of different surfaces. You know, it, it was almost a good thing for me to move from Louisiana to here um, because it gave me an opportunity to race on stuff that folks in other parts of the country that they race on all the time where out here you get spoiled, you race on good tracks. And, you know, if you got to, if you got to go and, and run a tire and wipe it up a little bit, you know, people complain where back home it's like, and you could get tires punching in the twenties and you're still sideways at the end of the night, you know, and there, there's things to be able to relate to those people is, is huge. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, it, it all, it all just goes back from my experiences, my, my desire to always want to be better and, and try to be better and, and learning the dynamics of go-kart racing. And it's just, I don't know. I've always invested a lot of time in it and, um, and it's always taught me so much. And it's it, a lot of it's, you know, some of it's self-taught. Uh, I would say a lot of it's self-taught and then I have great friends and great resources to be able to bounce ideas off of. Sometimes it's not always just needing somebody to tell you how to do it, but it's just, uh, hearing somebody and how they think about something in a different way. And um, I get to do that more and more now as we grow, and, and I really enjoy it. I agree. And, I, I, you know, part of the – one of the main reasons I wanted to kind of do this little podcast is uh, to get back in touch with some people I really didn't talk to a lot when we traveled and and also just to let everyone know and kind of hear conversations. I know when I grew up around Robinson Speed Shop, we used to go down there and – you always heard conversations and you would always pick up something, you know, I'm not saying that you're going to pick up a half second because of what someone said, but it's just learning it and becoming, you know, I always call it race IQ. I just, I think the, mm -hmm. the more time you spend around it, the more tires you mess up, the more, the more tires you rub, the more tires you size, the more you wash, you're, you're just going to get better. And that leads and it just builds. And, and it sounds like kind of the same thing is as you're growing as a company, you're talking to more people and even though you're helping them out, you're also gaining, you know, it's all, we live in a data driven world and you're, you're gaining data all day long. And, um, you know, it, it sounds like you're, you're really good at thinking things through and, um, and kind of putting that out into performance. So, um, it sounds like as you grow, it's also benefiting you as well as your customers. So that's a good thing. And, uh, I, I want to move on the tires too. Um, yeah, but before absolutely. that, I just, a uh, question I had is if, Someone that is not, say, in your area, if, if they were looking to uh, become a dealer or anything for Kinetic, how does how does that process work, just for anyone listening that might be interested? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, and that's another thing that we're doing different, too, that's really kind of turned around. I think another reason why, you know, our growth has been sustained, but it, it, we haven't really had no big uh, bursts of growth, and, and this is one of the reasons why. So I, I didn't have any distribution at all for a long time. I, uh, we did everything direct. My, my philosophy was I can, I can service them better directly. I can sell more than anybody else, and so I was just intent on being – being the, the go-to guy and um, and that works really good in the beginning because it, it is easier to keep your hands on everybody and make sure things are getting done make sure to get there what they need you know a one-stop shop for service or whatever um, but as we grow you know I've all obviously seen where um, I can't be everywhere at one time I can't be on the phone with everybody at one time so we have some good uh, strategic key people in place um, basically to be a dealer for kinetic, it, it almost always revolves around, it always revolves around a relationship. I have to have a relationship already with somebody or I have to be able to trust the relationship that, that one of my close friends has built with that person to, to even really be considered. Um, beyond that, a lot of times my, my first suggestion is like, have you, you know, if you don't have a go-kart, you've never ridden one of our carts, work with our carts, get a cart. 
you know, let's work together. Let me help you out with it. Let's develop what works, see how it goes in your area. You know, let me use the knowledge that we already have to, to just get you jump started and get you out there running good. Because when you're running good, it's a lot easier to sell a product. You know, most folks just like, oh, buy three go-karts, you're a dealer and have fun and, and go sell some go-karts. And then at the end of the day, you know, people are selling these go-karts that they've never even seen most of the times or definitely have never rode, never worked on. And then you go through a whole process of, well, hey, this didn't work. Well, it's because you're on the wrong setup or because you need to do this with tires. And like, I just kind of eliminated a lot of the problems I've seen with the typical model beforehand and incorporated it in a way that it benefits everybody up front. So, you know, hey, I'm not asking you to invest all your money in the dealership. Just get a go-kart, and then we can work to get you fast, which at the end of the day is the goal for everybody. Then we can look at, hey, how do we turn that into a, maybe a little strategic uh, business for you as well? So um, it's really a process is, is the shortest answer. Um, what I tell everybody that's interested, or whether it be a dealership or getting involved with or getting on a cart, you know, give me a call, schedule some time with me um, or any of my dealers, distributors, and, and really just have a conversation because once you talk – and, and you can relate a couple of things. People just get a, it's, it's a either a, yes, I, it's definitely what I want to do. I, I like everything I hear or it's a, you know, now I understand it. Um, I don't know if it's the right thing right now. So, and that's okay. You know, we're not for everybody. Um, we do kind of cater to a, a little bit more, um, dedicated, uh, customer. So most of our folks are very dedicated, very high strung and, and, and work hard. And, um, and I, I love it. I love the culture that we've built. And I think that's a big key to, to our success. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, like you said, I've generally just heard about the old model and I'm just, you know, you buy three, you get your little discount and you roll on. But, um, you know, after hearing what you just said, I think that's a great approach. And I think, you know, quality over quantity you know what i mean and i think that's definitely uh yeah. you know i <clears throat> probably as you grow you probably you probably keep that customer a lot longer than you know billy bob speed shop that buys three go-karts and then next year he's on to something else because he can't get those to work or whatever you know so i'm um, probably builds that, that brand loyalty you know so that's awesome yeah absolutely and i've i've, I've sent i've had it too like i've had folks leave and do other things for other opportunities and come back and you know, it's no hard feelings. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very passionate about what we do, and I get I get emotional at times, that whether it be uh, mad or, or sad, or whether I express it to folks or I don't. You know, I, I never want to see people leave, but you know, it's it's awesome. Sometimes it's really awesome to see them leave too, because you know they leave because of what we've been able to do together. They get a full pay ride, or they get an opportunity to go race a sprint car, or they're racing late models, or whatever. I mean, yeah, I hate to see you go, but. I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's the whole the whole point is to put you in the best position you can to to take the next step. And whether that's just being a better kart racer or whether that's trying to step up the ladder and make it or whether that's trying to just be a better person. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I do all this through racing, but it's because I want to help people and, and help people become better people. And so I, I try to just be a model for everybody. I try to do what I say um, and I try to live the life that I want to you know portray for others that, that will help people. That's great, man, and I'm sure that you know. Just looking through some Facebook pictures, you have a couple, um, a couple kids, I believe. Yeah, I got two boys, uh, five and eight, and um, we we let the Julian, the older one, we let him race a little bit when he was younger, and he wasn't. He, he liked it. I mean, any kid's excited about it in the beginning, but he he got a little wrecked there, and it kind of scared him. And and we we still went after that, and just. Um, he never did fall in love with it. I didn't want to push him. And then my, my youngest one, Gabriel, he, uh, 
he was he was really excited about it when I was racing a bunch last year. But you know, now that I've kind of not raced as much, he's not as excited. And they both taken up soccer, and they've really you know they never played soccer back home. And um, when we moved up here, they they got involved with it because we wanted to have them have them something to do for them. And um, right. it, it's really they've taken off with that. So we're soccer like four days a week with them right now, and they're starting to do stuff at school with track and events and different things. So. They they might race in the future and stuff like that, but I didn't. I never did want to just force them to do it because I my passion for it isn't. Uh, I didn't want it to relate. You know, I wanted it to be because they really wanted to do it. You ask any kid, they're going to say yes. But the way I look at it, until they're begging me to do it when I come home every day and not begging me to go play soccer, <laughs> um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let them play soccer. So. <clears throat> That's what I tell everyone. If you know, if your kid wants to play or do something, they'll let you know over and over and over again. And uh, that's how the same way yeah. with me. I mean, I was really into racing forever. And, um, you know, my kids, <clears throat> he plays soccer, baseball right now. It's baseball season up here. And, um, and he yeah. does more and he does martial arts twice a week year round. So it's, um, it's a lot going on, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe one day as far as that goes, but, um, I know uh, the one thing I did a couple, a couple messages that I received on Facebook and people were just kind of, um, just really, they wanted me to dig into the tire, uh, your tire mm-hmm. prep deal and stuff like that. And not, you know, not that we have to really dig in, but can you just, uh, maybe tell me a little bit about that? Is that something that, um, I know that on your website, you have a little, like a tire guide. Is that still up to date? Is that something that you would, would refer to, or do you have any new preps out <sighs> since then? Yeah, no, it's it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty much still up to date. I wrote it very general. I mean, I'm sure I could go back and probably change a few things. Uh, you, you know, the biggest thing with tires that you know and, and I know, and, and most folks either if they don't know, then they need to know is everything always changes. So, <laughs> um, the, the the fundamentals always stay the same. Though I mean, uh, really, the the number one thing I've learned about tires, or I guess I say I learned it. We all we all think we know it, but we really don't. In the day, it's it's all educated guess, but. The biggest thing I've seen since I moved up here um, three years ago and really got to understand a little bit more about um, climate. You know, in Louisiana, it never gets cold, and um, and it could rain just as much in the summer as it can in the winter. Um, so and vice versa. So we we never really I never really seen a ton of uh, difference in the climate down there, and it, it didn't affect our racetracks as much either because you got a lot more sand. When you got sand, that they drain, so it could rain four inches. We're going out there, it's still going to be pounding sand all day long, so it don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, up here and running on more clay, it really taught me how much climate affects the dirt. And, you know, at the end of the day, we race dirt because it always changes. It's never the same. And that's what keeps it interesting. It makes us either want to beat our brains out or what really, at the end of the day, I think that's what keeps us all so interested and involved. Um, but climate plays a bigger part than anything. Um, in my opinion, you know, they change, the rubbers change, the tires change, the carts change, but at the end of the day, we all, we all chase the climate. Um, there's nothing those guys can do to them racetracks in three or four days that they're prepping them before you go that, that can overturn the months of, of climate on them and, and, you know, breaking it up into seasons and then obviously, you know, watching it closer to race day too, because if it rains four days of the seven before the race, it really don't matter what they're doing. It's that moisture still going to be in the ground. So um, that's probably the number one thing that I think people don't pay enough attention to. Um, I watch the weather a lot. I try to keep up with what's going on with the climate a lot um, weekly, week to week for per race, and then also just as a whole. Um, but as far as the prep line, it's um, – Moonshine line is just a derivative of 
the wax line, which I started back in 2000, started in 2004 or five. And um, back then it, it started out just as a way for, I was cutting tires doing prep. And then um, I had done some other things uh, moved into the insurance industry before I actually started building go-karts and kind of let the prep line go, had a, a dealer that took it over and then it just kind of everything got muddy whenever I got back involved with go-kart racing. So we shut it down, renamed it, um, but it's pretty much the same principles then as, or then as it is now. And, um, basically, you know, it's a, it's preps that you don't necessarily need all of them all the time, but it's a it's a good enough variety where you can in any part of the country you can put together a little program to be competitive. Um, I, there's no, I don't think there's any magic in chemicals. Um, I do think there's some chemicals that work extremely well. And um, in 2010, whenever we redid the prep, um, I went. You know, I, I, that was when we started with getting TrackTac to blend. And, and can the, the outside preps and then whenever we redid the line in 13 um, we, we continued that and we just kind of updated some formulas but you know basically just trying to keep it simple for folks but at the same time giving everybody a good enough idea where they can kind of specifically make it work for their area I mean I've got guys I'd say the a big majority of the people that buy the prep race you know in places I've never raced um, they don't, I don't really sell a lot of prep in North Carolina. I sell a lot of prep back home still, but a lot of the people that I've met and the relationships I've built over the years with the prep and helping people with tires, um, is in a lot of areas where I've never raced before. So, um, it just, it's an, it's a testament to the program and, and taking, just like what you said, I'm able to take that information, make sense of it and then turn around and present it in a very transparent way where folks can understand what's going on and come up with some good combinations. Um, but I mean, we can use, like I said, different parts of the program anywhere, but it's real basic. I mean, I got an inside prep. So any tires requiring inside, um, that's, you know, that's the inside that we typically use. And then, uh, beyond that, sometimes I'll give folks or I'll suggest to either cut it back or add to it. Um, because once again, there's just such a huge variety of, tracks and surfaces i mean guys that are fixing vegas that need to punch in the 20s you know i'll get them to add some of the aggressive in the inside just to help that process and, and help continue to get bite in those tires and then you know we get in the summertime here we might cut that inside prep back just because it's uh even though it's not a strong super strong inside it gets to a point where it can be too much so um, really just doing the things that make sense uh we've got two different preps for during the week your standard at2 i mean that's you know that's AT2, Hot Lap 2, anybody else's 2, whatever base you want to use there, um, it, it's kind of all the same. I, I didn't need to go and reinvent the wheel on that one um, and, and Chris and them make AT2, so that was easy enough to just say, hey, as far as the program's concerned, that's where that fits. Um, and then we've got a green, uh, which is not like a crow green or anything like that, but it's just a, it's a heavier base to use during the week and at the racetrack, but, uh, it works really, really well in those areas in, uh, Arkansas, um, Oklahoma, Missouri, low bite stuff in Missouri, places where the tracks just don't have a lot of bite. Even Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, was really where that kind of was, was spearheaded at, um, and it just gives the tires more bite during the week. That way, we, when we get to the racetrack, uh, it, it gives us a better place to start with. 
Um, and then at the, at the, as far as at the racetrack, you know, we've got a hard track prep, a medium prep, an aggressive prep, um, and, and using those either individually or mixing them together um, to just kind of create what really what works good for the, it all depends on the area. Um, and then uh, beyond that, I mean, you always, always factor in goat with whatever we do because it's just a big part of, of, of go-kart racing, unfortunately. Um, not really, not nobody really likes having to use it, but at the end of the day, it comes down to where it's, it's necessary, so. Yeah, especially but, my especially my wife when I walk in the house at the, at yeah, the end of a race yeah. weekend and I open the trash bag and my dirty clothes and it's like man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean it's just it's a basic it's a basic prep program. You know, I pushed that real hard. I actually did tires and prep full time uh for two years, you know, that's all I did. And um and that that's really where the whole base of those customers came from. And and what we do now is just it's another way where I'm not saying you got to run our stuff to be good or anything like that. By no means, I help people with, with any type of tire prep and any type of situation because I want them to use what they're comfortable with. But if you want to eliminate that variable, it's just another way. You know, at the end of the day, you can come to us for one piece of the puzzle or the whole puzzle, and regardless, I can still help you put the puzzle together. So um, that's really what I think separates us from anybody else. But some people just want to be like, "Hey, whatever you're using, I want to use." So it's it's easy, it's simple, it's easy to follow. Um, and then, like I said, for folks that want to use other stuff, I'm all for it. I mean, I've, we probably won more races on with kinetic carts that use other tire preps than the ones that use ours, but as a whole, because there's just more people out there that use other preps, but, um, it's just a piece of the puzzle. It's just there to have. And, um, as far as just tire theory in general, I think, um, I think keeping it as simple as you can, um, giving yourself, you know, two to three options and, um, really just working with the options you have uh the big stigma is that you need more and more and more and more tires and, and at the end of the day i don't think that's true and I, i've proven that because i've there's never there's been very few times i've ever fixed more than uh one new set of tires or say two new sets of tires per cart for a big race because most times i don't fix that many but i might use two new sets on one cart in a given time but for the most part, you can do a lot more with a lot less than what folks think. Um, you just got to be smart about it. You got to make the right decisions, and you got to. Sometimes you got to know. You got to make the decision of, hey, I know if I do this, I might not win. I might run third, but it's going to keep you know the tires that I have in a good good position. Or you got to know when to make the decision. Say, hey, I need to strike these and go win the race and replace the tires and not worry about it. And that's um, you know that's going back to the last race that I went to, which was with Chris uh, and Jock last weekend, that's the position we were in. Chris is like, I'm going to have to ruin every tire I got. I'm like, well, you need to make a decision right now. It's either you ruin every tire you got and go win some races, or we just bolt tires on there and we scuff. And, you know, the way the cards fall out, they fall out. I said, but I came to win the race. I don't know about you. And um, he's like, I want to win. I was like, well, then sacrifice some tires and we'll get more later. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it almost worked out perfect because uh, we were in position to win and uh, did, the cards didn't fall that way. But, you know, if we wouldn't have done, if we wouldn't have had that conversation and made that decision, um, we would have been trying to just make things work. And, and sometimes you just can't, you can't just make things work and expect uh, above average results. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I do agree. I think a lot of people think, you know, you need a tire full of trailer, uh, a trailer full of tires and, 
and in general, if you you know if, if you can go there, you can utilize you know three or four sets. I think sometimes you're better than having ten sets there. So um, absolutely, I if, if as far I don't know exactly what your questions were specifically, but um, as far as you know, my theory on on tires and Max's tires. Let me let me one hundred percent make that clear that I'm not a Burris tire expert. I'm not a Vega tire expert. I've run them both, but um, Max's is primarily what we've run here for a while. Um, I, I think you need you need two options, and then you need a backup. And everything is just a duplicate or a version of that. You know, I like. Um, uh, you got you need, you have a new tire, you have a scuff tire, you have a re-roll tire, and you have a soak tire. Those are your four categories of tires. Um, and then beyond that, everywhere you go, you should be able to classify two categories for that track, that day, that race, that whatever, based on either your experience there or based on information you can it's pretty readily available from folks now. I mean you ask some of the bigger guys, if you're buying prep from so and so and you ask him, you say, Hey, I'm going here, what do I need? He should be able to say, Yeah, it normally takes either a, a good scuff tire or a reroll tire. Or it takes a new tire or a scuff tire. I guess you know what I'm saying? Like you're always gonna fall in one of those two categories and then the third category is just gonna be a backup. And if you run a tire program, all of your tires fall in those categories. You just got to maintain that you have those categories available. And then um, beyond that, you know, what's the variation of it? You know, yeah, this tire's re-rolled, but is it, you know, this re-roll was from this week. This re-roll was from two weeks ago. So knowing, you know, obviously that, that you can have that variation as well. Sometimes that's the only two variables you need. Some places that you can run a reroll all the time. It's just a matter of do you go with a newer reroll or older reroll. So there, it does create a complexity that a lot of people I think get lost in. Um, but I tell everybody it's just it's just a cycle. It's it's a life cycle, and all you're doing is just you're just pinpointing at what point of the cycle that tire's in and when you can use it. Because there's going to be times when you need brand new tires, you need scuff tires, you need reroll tires, you need soap tires. And I think if you if you can, everybody's going to buy. If you buy tires every time you go race, that gives you a new tire. You're always going to have your tires from the last race. That's generally going to be your scuff tire. And then once you once they've been to the track a couple times and harden up, you can re-roll that tire. That's going to be your re-roll tire. And then you're gonna it's a, it's inevitable you're going to go to a race and plan to run a new or scuff tire and you're going to have to strike it with goat. So then you then become that tire then becomes your soap tire. So it's not really that you need to buy eight sets of tires. You need to buy two sets of tires and then just control that cycle along the way. And I think that that's almost a, a, a norm now. That's almost kind of what everybody knows and does. And you've got, you know, everybody's got their opinion on where that is. Some people say that, a, a, you know, once a tire is older than two weeks old, it's not a new tire no more whether you run it or not. Um, you know, some people think that you can't, you know, some people, their rule, their guideline for themselves is they don't re-roll a tire till it's X amount of time old. Um, you know, I have those parameters set up for my prep and, and the program that we run. Uh, but everybody's is a little bit different. But it, as a whole, I think everybody's on that same type of um, idea now. And that's really the idea to best get uh, value and speed out of Max's tire, uh, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I encourage anyone, doesn't matter if they're running your prep or chassis or anything, if you go to, you know, your website, I'm actually looking at it right now, and you have under the blog, you have it. I mean, it, I mean, really a great, the way it's laid out and presented is, is exactly what you just said, plus exactly, I think, what, you know, what we used to do. And, and like you said, you're basically, you know, you're maintaining the tires and that rotation and the life cycle. And the track that day is actually picking the tires. You're just, <clears throat> you're just having them there ready like a buffet, you know, I mean, so to speak. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, so absolutely. And that's, I mean, I think, you know, once, once, once people get the concept of that, then, then after that, it's all application, you know, it's trial and error. I mean, we've been, I've been doing it for 20 years and I still go to the racetrack and make mistakes. I still go there and be like, man, I wish I had done this and I wish I had done that. But, you know, now like me and a couple of my really good friends and people that, that we we dissect our programs with a fine tooth comb, um, you know we know when we're off. We go to a race and, and we didn't fix new tires, and we get there and we struggle. We know it. I'm like hey, you know I didn't fix any new tires, and that's nobody's fault but mine. Or you know I, I decided not to re-roll them tires when I should have. You know so and, and really you know it can be as simple as having one set of each one of those categories. You can go to a racetrack and have an awesome day. Now, you can't go run 10 classes and have an awesome day on one set of each, but if and that's another thing, that's just a little a little um, tangent here. I think people try to run too many classes. I mean, if you're not financially and physically able and mentally able to run four or five classes in a day, run two classes. Know that you got, you know, put your best foot forward in two classes, and then you'll have a lot better results than sitting there trying to run everything. I can't tell you how many times I went to races in the last two years because I don't race a lot. So when I go race, I'm racing against guys I race every weekend. I'm racing against the best. I can't beat them on endurance. I can't beat them on skill. Um, sometimes I can make better decisions than them, but most times I run less classes than them, and I put a good foot forward in the classes that I'm running. So whenever that puts me in, in the position where – you know, I'm not burnt out at the end of the day. I'm not thinking wrong. Like I have time to think and process and know what's going on. I really think that that's you know for somebody that's not quite on the on the really high side of the the level of the sport yet. Um, I encourage them to to do a little less and be able to think a little bit more. And I think think you have a better result. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the person who I really learned tires from Hammer, who used to work for the Moon Man, like he used to always mm -hmm. have the analogy that. You know, if you have one guy that comes in for lunch and needs a sub, he's going to be full. But if you have three guys come in and share that, all, everyone's still going to be a little hungry. And it's kind of the same way with, you know, the sub being your tires and the classes being all the people that are hungry. You know, the, you just got to kind of, you need to give your best effort. And, you know, I'd rather finish third in two classes than finish seventh, eighth, and twelfth because I got, you know, the, the driver got tired and his head's laying on the motor, you know, by the second, the end of the second race. Absolutely. And I'm jealous. I've, I've always wanted to meet and talk to Hammer. I've never, I've always heard the, the legend, but I've never met the man. That's well, uh, yeah. that, that's that's awesome that that you've been able to to be around him. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I haven't, I've kind of lost touch with him a little bit. Uh, I, I have, we have some mutual friends that I'm, I'm going to get a hold of them. Uh, some of the, some of the podcasts I definitely want to do in person and. And he's someone that really, you know, kind of gave me my shot and stuff like that. So I, it's someone I want to have, you know, sit down with. And um, I might need a translator. He's, you know, he'll get into it. He starts mumbling and stuff. But uh, he's, yeah. he's a good guy, man. I just, if he could write a book, I mean, it would be the craziest go karting book ever. So. Um, oh yeah, especially in the day when he was really prominent and big. Um, 
I think that uh, I think that it would be the, the stories back then and the, the scale that everything was done back then was real big. So um, it's I always looked up I always looked up to all the, the guys in our sport. You know, I I'm I'm trying to be one of them, but you know, hopefully one day I'll get there. It's uh, I don't know where my place is 100% yet. I mean, I definitely know driving's not. I enjoy driving. Um, feel like I, I do a good job of making decisions on the racetrack sometimes, but um, I, I really enjoy helping other people. And like I said, I'm, I feel like I'm just well-rounded at a lot of things. But I really wish I knew how it all. I wish I knew my place a little bit better. I guess the best way to put it, so I could really focus that. But for now, I'm just keep kind of plugging away at every little bit and building building and building on on the culture because i think that's that's the big thing that i like to to help try to build if we change the culture in racing we're gonna have to change it to grow it i mean that's what at the end of the day i think it's going to start with culture and then everything else can be uh fixed beyond that but if we don't have the right attitude and the right culture we'll never we'll never be what we what we were so right yeah, you know, it's it's kind of weird. I think, I, mean, I, I feel like go-kart, at least in our area, in the Delaware, Maryland, Virginia area, um, you know, for years it used to be everyone going away and, and trying to travel and get to the big races, and now it seems like everyone's kind of taking a step back, and they're staying, you know, a little closer to home, maybe within a few hours, and trying to make it a day race as opposed to, you know, traveling one day and stuff like that. So, um, so we'll see, you know, yeah. it's, it's a, we're in a weird little thing, but I, I think that go-kart It's a is, cycle. Yeah, it's a cycle. I, I mean, it, it, it always goes in cycles, but yeah, we're definitely going back to what I consider more of a regional, regional structure instead of a, a national structure. I mean, it just makes it, you know, at the end of the day, it's time. I mean, and for me, it's the same way, you know, that's why I moved up here because I used to be able to give up two days a week to travel out here. Now I can't, I can't lose those two days. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it made everybody's crunched for time. So if you can race, if you can do a one day race instead of a two day race, even though it's not, it's a little bit smaller race or it's, you know, a little less money or whatever it is. It just, it makes more sense for folks. Right. You know, all right. I know, I know we're about, about to the closing point of this and, um, just a couple little things yeah. I want to kind of get to. I know you have to run and I certainly do appreciate your time, man. Out of, yeah, uh, that's no problem. Yeah, Still got a few more minutes. All right. Well, you've uh, so you've raced quite a few places. Um, what is your favorite track, or do you have a favorite track, a favorite series, a favorite couple tracks? Like, what are some of your favorite tracks that you've been able to uh, make some laps around, or even just if you didn't make the laps around, you were just wrenching on something there? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a couple that always come to mind. Um, you know, my first uh, the first one would be Baker, Florida, which uh, they actually. A uh, customer of mine and a friend of mine, he actually reopened Baker, Florida. It's definitely not where it used to be, but he's uh, he's doing, he's uh, he's actually been able to open it and make some steps to to get gathered back. But Baker, Florida was my first taste of high level karting. Um, the the WK Nationals used to always go there. Um, they had the Florida Divisional Series that would go there, and then they also had a, a really good Winter Series, and it was just kind of like the who's who. I mean, it they, everybody that back in the early 2000s, uh, maybe not as far north as you are, but except for maybe the Nationals, I'm sure. Yeah, I've been, I, I've been the Baker. There's a picture of Ron in the grid with Hammer, and that's, you know, that's, that's a Baker. 
the people share that picture every now and again and talk about it, but that was at Baker, Florida. And um, like I said, that was my first taste of high-level karting, my first taste of a really big racetrack, and I was just addicted to it. I mean, it was so fast and so, so, so good. Such a big facility, such good competition. I, I just, I couldn't get enough of it because I come from short tracks with not a lot of grip. And um, that one, that one will always be, you know, probably one of, if not, my favorite place that I ever raced at. Um, and then uh, second to that is, is going to be Jasper. Um, the World 100 was my was my second uh, kind of taste of, of East Coast. I'll say it's East Coast. It's still Florida, so it's not pure East Coast, but it was definitely my, my taste of big level racing um, and, and just competition. It's very hard to win there. I went to the World 100 every year for like seven or eight years, nine years in a row, and uh, always just fought real hard to, to be in the show. Honestly, I won't, you know, Gabriel. Hey, I had to, uh, I had to fight really hard just to be able to make the show, and, and never did really get a a good run in it um, myself. But then we went down there and actually won it with the go kart with Daniel Simmons in uh, 2014. So that was. Um, that was pretty awesome. And then um, we, we went down there again this year. I, I wasn't able to go back since we won it and, uh, with Daniel and then um, went back this year and had a really good run. You know, one heavy with Phil, um, sat on the pole in a couple classes, and um, the, the 100 didn't shake out for either one of us very well. I wound up getting wrecked pretty early on, and, and he had uh, – we just didn't make the right tire choice for him and um, kind of took us both out of contention there. But that, that track's just – I've been to WK Nationals there. I've been to all the big series that whenever they've been there, Pro Car Tour, NKL. Um, it's just always been a very competitive racetrack. It's always brought out the best in everybody. And, um, and all those longer races they have are really, really cool. Um those are definitely the two on the top of my list. Beyond that, I mean, I've got to enjoy going to a lot of really, really good racetracks. Um, Wasoski out in Missouri is a very unique place. It is a very, uh, very banked, very fast. That was a really cool racetrack to see. Um, the only places I haven't really gone, I've been to New York, but I haven't really hit anything in Pennsylvania. So I, I really want to go to um, Sears Grove in Hunterstown and go check those out. I'm going to try to make some time this year to go up there. Cole has done a, a great job uh, expanding our brand up there and, and really getting a lot of uh, recognition and, and good people on our stuff. And I want to go up there, hopefully for like a BMS race and, um, and be able to go hang out with those guys. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And let me know if you do, because um, I'm actually going to start helping Alex Wade again on just some, some stuff up here. And I, I plan on going up there for the uh, summer nationals up there for the Burris race at Ceilings Grove, man. I, I like that track a lot. And um, just to, just to go back real quick, uh, you said Jasper. Jasper is also that's my favorite track. I actually tried to talk my wife into naming our kids Jasper, but she would she nixed <laughs> she nixed that idea. She was like, "What?" Because I have two boys too, and I was like, "Yeah, just yeah, yeah." And she was, like, I mean, she nixed that in a second. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, but I've been, you know, just. Uh, I haven't seen them all by no means, but I've seen a lot of them. And I got to see a lot of them before they closed down. So uh, Southern Pit was really, really cool. Um, 
I haven't been to Margaretsville, but we'll go this year now that they've reopened it. That's one that was always on my list. There's a there's a great picture of Ron and Jason on the front row and Superstock there at the National, and uh-huh. like the track's just completely black, and you know it's 40 go karts. I mean, it's an awesome picture from back in the day. Yeah. And I've always wanted to go, um, but I was able. I mean, you know, been to Daytona numerous times. We've won at Daytona. Um, got to go to Possum Kingdom before it shut down when it was in its heyday. Um, I raced it back in '05, and then we we went there um, a lot, you know, later on uh, when it was 12, 13, when it was still kind of bumping real good. So I've been able to see a lot and, and do a lot over the years. Um, a lot of good racetracks. Just uh, it's sad to see a lot of them shut down now, but it's just uh, it's all stages. We I really think, like I said, culture and because within culture we'll bring some more promotion. I mean, we've got some good promoters stepping up right now, but I really think that the next step is not just from a big promotion standpoint, but just promotion in general. What we lost when we lost WK support and the structure that we lost kind of makes it really hard for anybody to know where to start when they want to think about, hey, I want to promote a track, I want to promote uh, you know, series or anything like that. And I think we need that structure back, and that'll come with culture. Um, if we can bring our culture right, then we can get our structure, and everything can grow from there. I mean, we've got a, like, so we've got a lot of good racetracks running. We've got a lot of good people running those racetracks, um, but there's, there's never there's – never, too many i don't think a lot of people's like oh there's too many places to race there's too many this or too many that there's never too many places to race there's just never not enough racers so (laughs) um and and we'll grow that as our if we get our culture right then we can grow that so i mean the there's other industries that have made very big turnarounds in the last couple years um the health industry being one of them it was really down for a long time and it's made a huge turnaround because they shifted the culture and some people involved said hey we need to we need to do a better job and we need to be more realistic and, and get people you know in the gym and being active um even if they're not bodybuilders and and we we need to take the same approach we need to get people at the racetrack and involved even if they're not pro level racers so um i I see a very good um comparison in those two industries and i think we can use a lot of the things that they do um and mold it in a way that works for us racing wise and there's some great things going on we got a new little champ part association that just opened up here in north carolina and the guy that's that's in charge of that he's really trying hard to just you know, bring the champ carts back together. When I first moved up here, we had 30, 40 champ carts in a class when we'd have, you know, a state race at Liberty. And now you go and you're lucky to have 10. And, you know, they just, they they have the folks that race them are a little bit, have a different culture than what all of our flat cart mentality is. And, um, and they weren't, their voice wasn't being heard. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I think that having a group for them and having a little bit of a committee will be really good because they can go to the tracks and say, hey, this is what we like to see. And, hey, this, you know, we've got 100 members or whatever, and this is what we voted on that we think is the right way to do it. Um, so I, I think that's good, and I think that can be escalated even at a higher level. Um, you know, I, I, started a, I started a little bit of a movement like that, but I haven't really done nothing with it. And uh, I've just tried to I – don't, I don't feel like I can by myself do anything, but – I've tried to drop the right uh, the right notes in people's ears to try to get them motivated to do it, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it seems like you've 
you need two of you to do all the ideas you have. So since you got five, yeah. five. Somebody, somebody told me that today. I said, if I could call myself, we'd, we'd be good. But no, yeah. it's not, man. I, all I do is I see the good things and I see, I see ways that to make them better. And I, and I let people know that in a way that I think is beneficial. So it's not that I can solve anybody's problems. I just feel like, uh, feel like I can help them to try to maybe, uh, maybe see the silver lining in some things or, or see the issues where they might be hidden. Um, so I, I, at the end of the day, a business owner is a problem solver and that's, uh, I've gotten, a, I've gotten a lot of practice at that. So a lot of, a lot of cuss words and cut up tubing. So it's helped me in more than one way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just like you said, you know, earlier you alluded to, um, like your whole deal as far as becoming a dealer, you know, you have a little different approach and I feel like, rather be it, it doesn't matter what what a little um part of the carding community but everyone you know it seems like a lot of people get tunnel vision and and i think like you said you definitely need more people like yourself that can kind of step back and maybe see a bigger picture and just like tap them on the shoulder and get them to look up sometime not that you have all the answers but sometimes you might have the first step to get to where they want to go that they just don't see yet so um you know, like you said, I think yes, yeah. and and especially doing it in the right way. You know, we all have egos and stuff like that, and it's some more than others. So it's a, it's a touchy little situation, but it's good. And uh, you know, we definitely need more people to do things like that, in my opinion. And um, you know, I, I know around in our area there definitely is. I think that um, even like with the little predator deals, uh, there's probably ten or twelve more um, senior and junior drivers at the local track this year, just just through like the predator deal, and as like a little yeah. stepping stone and stuff. So. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, that's like I said. There's definitely some simple ways that we can get people back involved. It's just a matter of, uh, like I said, the culture shifting our culture back to something that's in a growth pattern instead of a, a destructive pattern like it's been the last couple of years. I mean, people got to look at the positives, not the negatives. And if it's a problem, let's focus on the solution. Let's not focus on the fact that it's a problem. Yeah, there's 20 other people yelling what the problem is. You know, we yeah, need, more, we need exactly. more people to work towards the solution. I, I agree. I agree. Um, well, man, uh, I want to finish up here, but I, you know, I certainly do appreciate your time. It was, you know, first time we've talked. You know, I personally like. I'm not easily impressed. Uh, I was impressed with the conversation. I like the way you think. I, I've been kind of a fan from uh, like your marketing aspect. Uh, the the first podcast I had on. Uh, one of my good friends, just local, Richie Hornsby, and, and we talked behind the scenes just about we both have admired you, and I mean, you, just the whole aspect, and the more so even after we've talked. So, you know, I'm definitely rooting for you moving forward. I hope we can get you back on here maybe um, later on down yeah, the line absolutely. and talk some other stuff. But I, I like a lot of your ideas, and uh, is there anything? Uh, just uh, something I did want to kind of touch on. You you mentioned that you and your wife started your started a little deal. Is that the Greensboro lifestyle that I saw on Facebook? Yes. Uh, okay. I just want yes. to give you a shout out because I was waiting for you, yeah. and I looked and I saw some pretty nice looking food on there. To be honest with you, I'm sitting here drinking <laughs> a coffee and I'm thinking what I'm going to have for dinner, and I know there's no way it's going to yeah. be that good tonight. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's definitely one of the perks of that is I get to uh, I get to go around and try to find all the good food in town for lunch. So my my lunches have been very good the last six weeks. Um, but yeah, we uh, we had an opportunity just really out of the blue. Um, I kind of got headhunted really uh, by the, the the parent company for that, and um, they were looking for someone to take it over. It was kind of a unique situation, and you know traditionally I would have just been like i just don't have time I'm, you know there's a lot of things going on and and i do i mean that that's very valid 
but um but the the way it was set up and the, the fact and the passion that, that Mickey had for it, um, I could really tell. So I'm hoping I'm hoping in the long run that's really her baby. Um, but right now I understand that it's going to take some effort from both of us to really get everything going. Um, so for the next, you know, uh, two, three months, I'm going to focus a lot of effort on that. And then the rest of the effort will be on um, going to the racetrack and doing some testing and development for the the, the chassis lineup for next year. Um, I'm not going to race any. Really, just just work, you know, with kids and and work with uh, the rest of the customers out there. And like I said I've built such a good team. Or I say I we built such a good team because everybody involved. This isn't me. I'm just I, I get to to talk on the podcast and and put my face on some stuff. But really, everybody involved. The guys at the shop, uh, Mickey, and then everybody that either owns a go kart. Or, or sales go karts for us, um, they're kinetic. You know, we're kinetic together. So um, those people have made it extremely easy on me to be able to not be thrashing every night till 12 o'clock in the shop to go racing every weekend. Like I said, I got Cole up in uh, Pennsylvania doing a great job. Dan Marsden just came on. He's in New York doing a great job. Um, Phil Snyder doing a great job. Mike Halberton. Um, Cliff Bird, uh, just uh, Adam Johnson. I've got um, Eric Tracy in, in Missouri as well. Just uh, just a ton of good people. That's that's really helping us grow. And, and we've got some areas that we want to grow into. Um, so always looking at the next step and more opportunities. But for me, it's just always about doing it with the right people. If you do it with the right people, then it's a lot easier for folks to uh, to understand you know what you're trying to do. And uh, you're always going to have stuff that you got to kind of backtrack and fix. But Trying to uh, trying to minimize that means that we're at a point where we can now. So we're sustainable. We're here. We're going, um, and we're spreading the the distribution of parts. I know you touched a couple of times on that. I never really got to explain it, but um, we do got the website that people can always get parts through. And then we've also got those folks that I just mentioned. A lot of them carry parts with them at the racetracks, and between them, they hit all the big races and all the everywhere except really the core of the southeast which is where you know we go and then um beyond that we also have um i've got some things in the works to have even more distribution of parts in in the areas where folks can have whether it be at the racetrack at a, at a cart shop or, or be you know one day shipping instead of three day shipping some of those people that's further away from us so we've got stuff in the works um that, that is always a, a question i get but um i really just educate people I right, look if you know this you need this this and this because this is the stuff that's typically going to get tore up you know this this and this you can interchange with with this go-kart or that go-kart um you know you're already you're buying a new go kart. You're spending thirty three hundred dollars. Let's go ahead and spend another two fifty. Get you the parts in your hands. That way you have them when you need them. Okay, you know what I'm saying. So um, education at the end of the day, I think is the biggest thing there. And people, um, you know, that a lot of that happens just because of the way we build the brand. Um, if somebody's looking for the cheapest go car on the market, they're probably not going to want to spend any money on extra parts. They're going to be the people that's going to be complaining at the racetrack about, hey, I can't get parts for this go car. When at the end of the day, you probably just should have bought that pair of spindles when you bought the go kart. <laughs> right. No, I, so, I agree. I agree. It, it's, uh, so, it's definitely an investment worth it. You know? 
Yeah. So, you know, telling people that and, and then just picking up situations. Um, oh, I almost forgot, but he just popped up on my screen here. Uh, I've got Kyle Zell in Virginia. Um, he's he's the newest member of, of our little uh, family, and uh, he's doing real good. Got a, a big win at the VDK last weekend, and uh, looking forward to being able to grow our presence in Virginia with Kyle. Um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody else because it, it seems like every day we've got a uh, – got new folks and and things are growing i mean customers everywhere i i, I need to tally it up and see exactly how many go-karts we've built since we've been open um but it, it'd be cool to see like exactly what all we've done there i do know i do i keep up with the numbers a little bit and stuff so i do know that we've had some tremendous amount of growth in the last uh five and a half six years so i um i'm real proud of that um and i always just i, I take a hundred percent of the money that we make and reinvest it back in the company and just make make things work just try to try to keep growing keep adding folks um like i said we have two full-time people now we've got part-time guys um you know we're we're able to, to to do the things we need to do and that's really the hardest part about any business is getting it sustainable and now that we're there it's um it's it's a little bit of a relief that's awesome, man. So, uh, sounds like you put the time in, and things are, you know, you're kind of not to the top of the hill, but you're you're far enough up that you have a couple of people behind you, and um, like you said, it makes everyone to kind of work together to get things working and keep them rolling. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just and anyone listening to when I when I kind of like start to put this out on the internet and stuff, I'll put links to anything that we've talked about that I can think of. And if there's anything that, you know, that you think of that you didn't mention, you know, just let me know and I'll put all that on there for people to find. And are, are there any final thoughts before we get out of here that you wanted to, to pass on to anybody listening? Um, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, just, um, the, the biggest thing with whether it's racing or, or life or anything in general, like everything's going to be twice as hard as what you think it's going to be. It's going to take twice as much effort, uh, twice as much, um, dedication, sacrifice, whatever it may be. And, you know, racing, racing is definitely not a shortcut <laughs> by any means. There's no shortcuts in that. So, um, a lot of times it's, it's, it's simpler than you think, but it's harder. You know, it's hard. You still have to do it, it requires effort. So I'd say from a racing perspective, just, keep keep trying to learn keep trying to grow but always build your own you know you really build your own race and everybody a lot of people like to mimic other people and like to just you know ask other people's advice and stuff like that and i think a lot of people get really off off base with that like find you know one or two people you trust um learn what they do and then adapt it to what you do because i mean i've got some awesome racers that are really good friends of mine and at the end of the day i can't do the same thing they do because what works for them doesn't work for me and what works for me doesn't work for them but just you know knowing that you have uh, some resources and then being able to just learn how that works for you there's no there's no replacing hard work and there's no replacing the trial and error i mean i've ever from the go-karts to the engines to the tires i can't tell you how many tires i've messed up and ruined i still do it to this day knowing that i've already found the way but i'm still just like trying to reinvent the wheel figuratively and not figuratively speaking and um you know i every now and again chris chris is a good one he's he'll be like why don't you just stop and do what you know how to do? Or I'll be like, Chris, why are you doing that? Like you've done that for the last seven years. And it's like, well, it still works. And it's like, ah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So really, I think I think it's just you know find your own little program, you know develop your own little program, and and stick with it. And if you ever get off base, or if you ever get lost, if you feel like you're you know you're on a bad streak, or you're you're off in left field somewhere, just kind of you know cut bait, go back to square one, and and a lot of times you know the little things. I mean, go through the go kart, make sure none's in the bind, make sure none's bent. Um, from a tire's perspective, pay attention to the details. Um, everything, everything is small details in racing now. There's no big deals. It used to be like if you had goat, nobody else did. You're a hero, obviously. I mean, now that's not that's not going to be it. It's going to be the fact that you had, you know, um, the the balance on the go kart just right. And that's something that I think is huge. That would be a great podcast with the go kart balance and um, between me and honestly the the people that have taught me would probably be really really good to have on here um that would be like mike alberton and especially philip snyder he's taught me more about balance on a good cart than anybody um those are some guys and that's a good podcast because that's the that's the evolution of where we're going is is balance and, and fine-tuning and um that's what makes the difference between the guys you see up front every weekend and the ones you don't um in my opinion so but like I said, just keep at it. Um, stay stay consistent with it. Keep at it and, and work your program. All right. So there you have it. Uh, a lot of information to dig into. And I certainly do appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to the podcast. And, you know, keep in mind, if you ever have any questions after you listen to a podcast, maybe something I didn't pick up on, a lot of people will probably end up coming back on at one point or another. So if there's anything, whether it be with Wesley or any past guests, if you have any questions after you listen to them, uh, go ahead and just shoot me a message on either Twitter or Facebook at Zero Analytics, or you can look up, you know, the Zero Analytics podcast. And that way I'll kind of keep track of them in a spreadsheet. And uh, if I get enough of them from one person, I may just send them to them and we'll do like a little Q&A or something like that. So uh, we're going to try to experiment on some things. And recently, kind of from the start, I've only put out roughly one podcast every couple weeks. And they've been a little bit longer. Uh, this, within the past week, and this is the beginning of April, the first couple weeks of April. And I've actually recorded after tomorrow will be five episodes in about three days so um not that i'm going to do that many all the time but what i am going to do i have um the first kids podcast that's coming up as well and his dad was also on the podcast so there's going to be a few weeks coming up that we are going to go ahead and release uh, a couple within the same week that'll be a little bit shorter and also uh, something to kind of keep in mind with wesley my whole idea was to kind of do like um start with wesley with kinetic racing chassis and then uh, i've already recorded the podcast with jock newsome who also rides the kinetic racing chassis and drives the track tag house cart so what i wanted to do is kind of encompass the whole program so i did wesley first you get an idea on chassis and stuff like that and then i moved on to jock and in a few days, I'm actually going to do an interview with Chris Harris of Track Tech, who does the tires for Jock. And I kind of want to just give everyone like a different aspect um, for one whole team. So we'll have the chassis designer and, and actually Wesley also does the motors for them. And 
then we'll have Jock, the driver himself, and then we'll have the tire guy uh, with Chris. So I just thought it'd kind of be cool to give everyone, you know, just kind of a glimpse into one team. And, uh, and I'd like to do this more. So it's not just, um, you know, kinetic racing chassis and track tech. I mean, it, it can be whoever. I mean, anyone that comes on here, I actually have a couple guys lined up that design and build, uh, you know, manufacture or manufacturers cups and sprint racing chassis for for right hand turns and everything so uh, i'm looking forward to it so if anyone has any suggestions moving forward as far as guests or people like that um go ahead and shoot them my way uh send me a message on social media and we'll try to get it taken care of if you have any suggestions anything you like don't like uh, i know i can't please everyone but at the same time uh, there's a lot of things we're going to kind of do here and there to to experiment and like i said we even have the first kids coming up that's going to be you know a lot shorter more like a 35 minute one so anyway i hope everyone's appreciating so far and uh, i'm having a blast doing it and really getting um i'm having a great time just having conversations with people i probably otherwise wouldn't so i hope everyone's enjoyed listening and if you have any tidbits or pointers feel free to shoot them my way i appreciate it and good luck everybody